Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, this is DeRay, and welcome to Pause the Other People. In this episode, it's me, Diara, Miles, and Kai talking about the news that you don't know from the past week, the underreported news with regard to race, justice, and equity that you should know, but you didn't hear about. And just so you know, Pods of the People will be on holiday break for the next two weeks. So be safe, and we will see you in the new year. My advice is to be patient. You know, I'm more patient than I've ever been. Let me tell you, patience wasn't always a gift of mine. And in some of the newer relationships that I formed, friendships, otherwise, I've just been so much more patient with people, like not letting them take advantage of me, like boundaries all clear, but just like patient. And it's really worked out. So I'm sharing that. Family, welcome to another episode of Pod Save the People. I am Diara Ballinger. You can find me on Instagram at Diara Ballinger. I'm Miley Johnson. You can find me on Instagram at Feral Rapture. I'm Kaya Henderson at Henderson Kaya on Twitter. And this is DeRay at DIY on Twitter. So as usual, lots going on. But I'm going to start with the joyful aspects of what's going on. Whoop, whoop. The World Cup. I learned after nearly eight years with my partner that she's a soccer fan. Wow. All of a sudden it was like this and this and that. And did you see this? And you No, I didn't. I'm sorry. Anywho, I did get excited. The the World Cup only happens every four years. So maybe four years ago you just weren't paying attention. That maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe we were separated by by water and, and some other things. But And there are lots of people who don't even clock in on soccer or football, whatever you call it, until the World Cup. So that's actually reasonable. Like she might not watch soccer all the time, but people totally like click in on the World Cup. Thank you, Kai, for explaining <laughs> my marital problems. <laughs> but I did get interested in the Morocco-France situation. I really was interested in that. And I was like, ooh, what's going to happen here? And then I kind of lost interest with France and Argentina because I'm like, you know, well, same, same. But um, not, not exactly you know, same, same. A little, I a little, mean, I mean, you know, yeah, for, like, I mean, so there's a, one shout out to the Moroccans for like declaring their Africanness huge, because that was like they were because isn't it true that no non-European country has won the World Cup? Isn't that a thing or it happens infrequently? No, no, because Brazil has won the World Cup. Let's just make That's let's just make European. it up. Let's just let's just start right, here. right, right. But I but mean, I yeah, but no uh, African also our country. Our audience is going to know either. They're going to be like. Uh. <laughs> That's not true. Don't underestimate my audience. But uh, like, but no African country has won the World Cup, and I think Morocco has is, gotten Kaya. the closest. Um, Morocco just got the closest and declared their Africanness when people tried to put them in the Arab box. They were like, no, sorry. We are an African country, which, woo woo, you know, it's not a whole lot of people who are willing to claim that like that. And then it was going to be interesting because France, the former colonizer of Morocco and Morocco, like, you know, people were everybody in my world because, you know, we root for everybody black. 
were like, we want Morocco to win. But also if France wins, if Mbappe, like Mbappe is killing it. So there's also that. And so for me, there was a lot of like angst about even the colonizing countries, like their teams are all black and whatnot. So all black. You can't not exactly root against them, right? Because you want the black boys to win. Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting. But Argentina, Messi got his long-awaited World Cup thing, which was good. Miles, yeah, Stray, because he's been playing for us. a long, long time. The, the sports <laughs> conversation. Yeah, I'm literally. I was literally. I was. I'm over here like. Was Beyonce performing at the half ball? Like, half what's point. going on? Is there, is there I was at a everything? place. I was like, <laughs> I was at a place while they were watching, and they were very excited. And mm. I want the black guy to win. Like, I, Mbappe, I know him. I like know who he is because he's young. He's so young and so black. Um, and I saw those images that were like, this is what the team would look like without immigration. And I was like, exactly. Nobody. Totally. But I also saw a thing that said, you know, he's his family is Cameroonian. And I guess his dad wanted him to play for the Cameroon team. But the people were like, you got to pay us to put him on the team. And in France, they were like, come on, like, get with it. You're an elite soccer player. And so in order to get on teams in Africa, apparently you have to pay bribes. I was reading this article this morning and... So a lot of the elite players are like, bump it, I'm just going to go to the colonizers because they, mm. you know, accept us for free. And so, I mean, soccer is Oh, so you have to pay corrupt. to play. Yes. Got it. In, in African that's, countries, that's, it. it seems. That, well, that's also giving me Rutgers energy. So I feel like <laughs> dotted line. <laughs> I love this because like we don't like people, everybody doesn't watch soccer, but it's not just soccer, right? Like it's world history, it's human rights. It's like all of these yeah. things yes. wrapped up in one. That's right. And it still doesn't have a halftime show. <laughs> we we are going to work on that. We're going to work on that, Miles, so that um, you can be the wow. producer. How about that? I would love that. I would love mm-hmm. that. Okay. Since we're so connected to FIFA, us, the four of us. Yeah, you know, you got to put it, it's called manifesting. (laughs) Okay, can I add one other thing? Um, And that is, did you all see this poll that your friend Elon Musk did on Twitter asking people if he should step down or stay in charge and saying that he would. Yikes. I'm an Instagram Instagram baddie. (laughs) I'm an Instagram baddie now, 100%. Also, Miles, your Instagram is like, I can't get enough. I'm getting ready to start reposting your posts. To my, to okay. my. So just get ready it's for that. It's a whole rebrand. If it gets to be too much, just tell no, me. do it. A whole Twitter re-brand. never happened. No bad news over here. <laughs> <laughs> the whiz. <laughs> I, I will say on my auntie text thread that chit chats every day, Miles is the new fave. People are like, I just love Miles. He's so funny. Aww. I just love Miles. He's so relevant. Aww. He's so blah, blah. Ain't nobody thinking about Miles. What you talking about? Don't be like that. I want to have a whole. I want to have a whole. Di- I want to have a whole dinner. And I want to get all the auntie. I can. I can never come. You know. Look, come on down because the girls are feeling Miles, <laughs> nephew Miles. Okay. Mm. Mm. I'm beaming. 
So the poll was, he was asking, you know, should he step down or not? And he said that he was going to abide by the will of the people. And he closed the poll pretty quickly. But last I looked, 57% of the people said he should step down. And so it remains to be seen what will happen. What, what's I'm so interested in your um in in what you're thinking, Dorian. Yeah, so I, I think that Elon is a really big troll, and he gets the game. Tesla stock is tumbling, and I think the Tesla board is like, "Hey, buddy, you gotta get it together." So he's gonna step down as CEO this week anyway. The poll was just his way of like getting engagement on the platform. So I think that that is. I think that's what's happening here. It'll be interesting, though, because, you know, people think that this is actually the prelude to bankruptcy, that he is going to, you know, that Twitter is going to go bankrupt and then he'll be able to sell it or just close it. Um, And that is sort of wild. But I've heard, I've heard in Silicon Valley, uh, somebody who is, you know, is a, is a big person in Silicon Valley, that there are two big companies that are looking to buy it at a discounted price. That like when it goes bankrupt, that like, you know, t- one of the big tech firms that's not a Facebook because they'd never be able to buy it because of antitrust laws uh, will try and buy Twitter at a really reduced price. This is fascinating. I wish a black rich person would buy it because I just Girl. feel like the black Twitter of it all is so important. And it, let's just, can we make it ours? Please, anybody listening? Mm. Maybe Bob Johnson, he went to the dark side. Maybe he would think it's a good <laughs> idea. DeRay, what will Elon Musk have gained by buying... Twitter bankrupting it and then selling it to somebody else. Like, will he make money? You know, these no, are the business things. That I don't. No, he won't make money. I, this, this financially, I don't. I don't think there's a good explanation. But I do think if you're trying to dismantle one of the most effective tools on the left, this is it. You know. So yeah, but if somebody else buys it, right? Like, it's not done. And I and I think if he leaves, people may come back. Right, right, Miles. No, no, Instagram I, is it. No, okay, okay, I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to bridge back to TikTok. No, I think that um <laughs> I think that Dre's right. Like I think that if it just it's just so in all seriousness, it's just so toxic and it's just it was just it's just such an exhausting platform that of course if things were like edited, I would like come back and, you know, give my opinion every now and then because I wasn't even overly using it, but it just did not make, you know, the you know the the um the metaphor the, the 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 poop was bigger than the cat. I'm like, why are like why put your <laughs> why put yourself through it? Like it's not worth it. Yeah, I think that um, but you know, like suspending all those journalists the other day who criticized him. It's like you really could just silence a whole set of people. Um, but but yeah, and I think that he really did think he was a genius. I think that Elon like legitimately wakes up and is like, I can do this better than anybody. Da, 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 da. And I think the world has realized, boo, you ain't you ain't got it. Well, on a large global stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Can we talk about her? Please. You mean Gabriella Wilson? Okay. Okay. Is that her name? Gabriella. I didn't know that. Just beautiful. Look at that. Okay. Always been a princess. I I I love the the revealing of 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 her. A.K. Gabrielle Gabriella Wilson. I'm always I'm always gonna call her her in my in 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 in, in my world because she got me through some deep dark shadowy nights. Um, she <laughs> she played <laughs> Belle from Beauty and the Beast, which is amazing. I cried. I was very sensitive. I'm already it's holidays. 
I'm mushy, I'm soft and pink. I, so once I see something happen, like a fairy tale, and the hollies are going, and then, um, you know, my boyfriend sneezes and the puppy barks, and I'm like, oh, life is but a fairy tale. And it just was so cool <laughs> to see her play Belle in, in, in a type of princess. And I know everybody says this, but I do think, you know, when Brandy was Cinderella, and even when Kiki Palmer played um, her role as, as Cinderella, too, it was like they kind of maybe conformed a little bit or just like played the the Disney princess role really well. But Belle had this m- moment um, in this rendition of uh, Story stories all this time. But, well, let me not sing the whole thing, child, because Disney's not about to sue me. But <laughs> the, the, the theme of Beauty and the Beast, she sang it. And then at the, um, the reprise, she comes out in like, pants and with the electric guitar and her yellow shades so she kind of like funkadelic up per um the the bell's gown and she comes down and that's really when i cried i was like wow what a cool thing to see somebody get such an iconic role that is just the icon of like of, of just beauty and and, and and femininity and just make it her own and i was so emotional I, I love it. It was. Uh, it was also one it. of the first times that I really listened to the words. I don't know why the Disney version. I just you know this. You know the tune. You know the. But when her was singing, I was like, "Let me listen." I'm like, mm-hmm. "This really is a love song." Come on, her and 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 Josh Groban. <laughs> Josh Groban was singing. I was like, "Come on, Josh." He really was. Hold on, Josh Groban is real. Hold on, he's the real deal. He's like, you're not about to embarrass <laughs> me. Um, what am I watching this on? I'm gonna watch this this week. I saw it on Twitter. It, okay. <laughs> it's on. <laughs> I cannot. It's a. It's on ABC. So okay. ABC's Beauty and the Beast, the 30th celebration. Okay. Josh Rogan plays the Beast. But good for her. Thank you, Gabriella, for all that you're doing for little black girls everywhere. My news, because I'm always going to need to bring the bit of sunshine and brightness into the into the news portion of the of the show, is Lizzo. I love Lizzo. She's so cool to me, you know. Like as a plus side, I don't know what we call each ourselves. That's a fat person show. Um, in, 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 in this world, I love seeing Lizzo on stage representing me and taking up space. Um, and being unapologetic about not just her quote unquote blackness, but then also about her size and all the things that come with come with that too. She just has always been a really big inspir- inspiration for me. I got her t shirt that says um, "You're special" spray painted, and you know I look at it when I need to remind myself that I'm special. So one of the things that I think is just so brilliant that uh, when black artists decide to do it is when they gain fame and they decide to speak directly to a very specific blackness that just makes you feel like oh my god this person's talking to me not generally or i'm i'm not you know shout out to obama but that that whole i'm not a black president i'm everybody's president i like when my pop stars say oh i'm a black pop star i'm a pop star for black people and you kind of do that with the iconography that you in the art in the art that you um everybody's got me but you do that with the um with with the art and the references that you put into your performances specifically when you're on the big stage so all to say is Lizzo performed on the SNL stage and she recreates the Annie Lee Blue Monday painting. This is maybe short of like Ernie Barnes' Sugar Shack. This is one of the more 
prominent mm-hmm. and just uh, ubiquitous images in the Black culture sphere. And we all know it. And it feels so, it felt so good. I'm getting chills even talking about it. It felt so good to see Lizzo decide to recreate that in, in her performance in down to the Bantu knots, down to the the uneven shoulder and then in the down look. She really got it to a T. And it felt like she was talking to me, aka she was talking to us. And I I just love when Black artists decide to center and recreate those um, type of images. Because also what it does is you know, I was looking at some Andy Lee stuff and, you know, I want, I wanted to, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and buy it now because <laughs> I don't want to, because she's, she's known for making art of everyday Black people, but then also she's known of making figurines and all these other stuff. And sometimes when Black artists do do stuff like that, the price of it goes up, which is, you know, great for collectors and stuff like that, but then also it can get kind of, you know, scarce and, 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 and not accessible for us. So I want to go ahead and grab that. But either way, it tells, it reminds people of who these people are, people who maybe aren't in the um, canon that's preserved by muse- museums and galleries. It reminds people, it preserves them and, uh, and elevates them and exalts them in a way that I think is really important. And I don't know, just shout out to Lizzo for doing that. It, it was just uh, it, 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 trying trying to give this compliment without dissing anybody else. It, it just came from a pure place of celebrating black art and recreating something, and it didn't feel performative or contrived. It just felt like an honest celebration of a black thing, which I thought was extremely, 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 extremely refreshing. Do you did you all see the performance? How much do you love Lizzo? Does anybody know Lizzo? Can anybody connect me with Lizzo? Does anybody have this? <laughs> Has Lizzo tried Sweet Chicken Brooklyn? Does Lizzo know that I am free at 3 p.m. to go there? Who? Let's 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 work this out with my well-connected uncles and aunts. Well, we do know Lizzo. Oh, hold on. Of her of her work. Oh god. Oh, that's not that was not the question. Right. That, that's the that's the auntie response. Yeah, we know who Lizzo is. No, no. He's saying y'all networked connected mm-hmm. people who can I've get met him her, to Lizzo. Okay. That is the question. Well, she's at it at Atlantic Records, where my best friend Kendra Ellis is. Shout out to Kendra Ellis. Now we're moving. Um, Kendra, Kendra, you Kendra about to get a phone call? <laughs> Kendra hasn't. Le- Kendra's also the person who sent my mom Silk Sonic roller skates, and my mom fell in the skates. Obviously, why are you sending my mama roller skates? And the other thing is, Kendra hasn't let me go to work with her for a very long time because she says I embarrass her at work in front of the celebrities. Well, I won't. No, I won't. Uh, I won't embarrass her. <laughs> I am cute. I am chic. I am articulate, and I'm hip, and I'm yes, I will fit right in. I am cute, <laughs> chic, articulate. Chic, chic yes, yes. She, you're, well, I will say the thing about this. I did not know. So I knew Blue Monday because it is like we've all seen it. I had never seen any other piece of art by Annie Lee. Like I just hadn't. I like hadn't. <gasps> well, wait. Hadn't you seen the, the the kitchen table? The aunties at the kitchen Have table. I? Y'all are you too seen young. That one? I don't you know. Too young. No, if you I grew, grew up, up in the nineties. Not me. 
every black very, woman like, in Ernie America Barnes as well. Yeah, every black woman mm-hmm. in America had an Annie Lee figurine, greeting no. card, piece of art. I just knew this one. Calendar, this is the only one I knew. Something. Yeah. There's the one with the tennis player scratching her booty. There's church ones. There's all kinds of. I mean, there's a bunch of them, and I thought it was amazing because, you know, a piece of art, a, a, a picture is stagnant. And somehow or another, Lizzo connected this feeling that the story is, you know, Annie Lee was some kind of, I think she was like an engineer or something working in a factory in someplace cold and had to get up in the morning and take the bus to work and, you know, ah, sad working black woman stuff. And she was one day got up and was just like, I, it, like, does anybody else feel like I feel that was the impetus for Blue Monday? And Lizzo in her artistic brilliance took this stagnant thing and brought it to life with her song, Break Up Twice, yeah, Second Break Up, something about Break Up Twice. Mm, why you want to do that? Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, the auntie is loud on this episode. The auntie is turned out to the max. I thought it was brilliant that she brought this thing to life in a new incarnation with this song and... Um, it was it was lovely. I, I Miles, like you, I was like, oh yeah, she's talking to me. Like this is for us. I know that the, the white people watching this have no idea what is going on, and they just think this is a great song and blah blah blah. But the signaling and the embracing of our culture and the whew, yeah, it was lovely. Don't go anywhere. More politics. The people's coming. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Hey, pet parents, are you searching for the perfect place for your dog to play? Check out Camp Bow Wow. Our safe and supervised doggy daycare and boarding ensures your pup gets the socialization they crave while giving you peace of mind. With our certified staff and clean and spacious facilities, your dog will have a blast making friends and staying active. Join the Camp Bow Wow pack today. Your first day is free. Visit us at CampBowWow.com. Franchise opportunities available. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Pod Save the People is brought to you by Factor. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals 
are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. You can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Now, let me tell y'all, they sent me the Factor meals, and it is absolutely true. Two minutes, pop it in a microwave, and it literally is restaurant-quality food. So far, my favorites are chicken parmesan. I am a chicken parmesan connoisseur. This stuff is good. It has broccoli and tomatoes, and it is creamy and amazing. Mmm, yum. So easy to throw it in the microwave and have a good meal. I'm saving money. I'm not eating out at restaurants so much. It's healthy. Like, I cannot say more about Factor Meals. So if you want to be down with this, head to factormeals.com slash PSTP50 and use code PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code PSTP50 at factormeals.com slash PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Posse of the People is brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, y'all, the beginning of this year has just been a lot going on, like from work and family and friends and just, you know, the weather's been awful in New York City and Baltimore. There are a lot of stressors happening, big and small, and we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com people today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash people. Well, everyone, you know, I was going to Minnesota. I survived. And while I was in Minnesota, I picked up a couple of local newspapers because, you know, we cover a lot of national news. But I also think it's really fascinating, like just to get hyper, hyper local. Um, and so I'm actually like literally like have the papers with me. I brought them to London, which is where I am now. One of the papers is, is a native paper. And there's a huge native community in Minneapolis, um, if y'all didn't know. And so this publication is called The Circle and it's Native American News and Arts. And so what... I found interesting on the front cover of this paper was a business resources directory for for Native folks. So it's basically like in anticipation of the holidays and gift shopping and all of that. um, It's a full directory of places where you can buy from Native artists, buy really beautiful pieces of art, crafts, jewelry, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted to bring that to the pod because I feel, you know, I'm a Black entrepreneur I spend a lot of time on closing the racial wealth gap. And I think what's often forgotten is how 
you know, I could do better, we could do better in doing it in a unified way and understanding the some, you know, just the amount of attention, even though it's late and we need more that has gone into supporting black business and black entrepreneurship. I don't think I've seen one thing out there from a bank, from a brand, you name it, that has dedicated or committed some time or energy into indigenous or native owned businesses. So I wanted to bring it to the pod. I wanted all y'all to check it out, you know, support these businesses as best we can. And I just thought this was a, a, a good resource for all of us, just like a publication by and of native people. So that was my first little Minnesota piece of news. And the other one is that there are two black mayors now that have been elected in Brooklyn Center and Brooklyn Park. So Brooklyn Center and Brooklyn Park have significant black populations. It's like, I mean, it's like nearly 30% or something. But we remember in Brooklyn Center is where Dante Wright was killed. And so I just, I thought this conversation with these, you know, this is, it's not the first time there's a black mayor, but I do think it was just interesting. It seemed to be that like both of them had platforms of like, you know, anti-crime. Um, so just, I'm just, you know, I want to follow closely what's going to happen in Brooklyn Park, Brooklyn Center. Duran, I know you spent some time in Minnesota, so you're always interested in what's happening there. And interesting, so the mayor, April Graves of Brooklyn Park, Miles, to your point around Lizzo wanting, just saying I'm a black pop star, I started to dig into April Graves a little bit, and April's like, you know, I'm not just a black mayor. I have a white mom. Oh, girl. And I'm native. And so I'm a mayor for every girl, you in Minnesota. So I found that to be really, really interesting too, given the politics I know around people of color and in Minnesota. But all that to say, I just wanted to share these two pieces of news with y'all because I got to Minnesota. It was a great time. And I just feel like there's a lot happening there. There's a lot of activism. There's a lot of movement in the right direction. Um, and just wanted to share it with y'all. To your point, I just don't understand in like, this day and age, how certain like how certain things are even said anymore. You know, I think that one thing that's kind of true from the right or left, and then you know, I can be corrected on this, is that it seems as though no matter how far on the right or left that you are or, or anything in between, is that people now are being want uh don't want general leadership. They don't want people who are trying to be everyone for everybody. They want people who are saying, I'm an individual person who's come from this experience and I'm advocating for people who are either like me or who people in their own way can relate to it. So I just, it just feels like people are stuck in a time machine who continue to try to gain political power by like um, whitewashing, general washing, making themselves as, uh, as universal as possible. People are really getting substantial like growth politically through being subjective through being like no i went through this experience that's very specific to me and i'm here and i'm your superhero and or and or you can relate to me because my subjective experience is what's making me universal i think i'm constantly thinking about you know aoc and and and, and that whole crew who got who got elected it seems as though they got 
most advancement from being just so themselves and and and, un- and unapologetically attached to their identity and their histories, and that's what gave them st- um advancement. And then you know, <laughs> the same thing with people on the on the right. They're like, no, we don't. I I don't relate to them. I'm not. I'm 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 relating to you at home and in the in the coal miners and everybody else. We're not going to talk about. So it's just amazing when um people of color decide to still play that old that old, I'm sorry, but that old Obama game. I'm like, that's done. That's over. I do think, um, DR, one of the things, so I, I do know Brooklyn Center and I, um, and I know that part of town in Minneapolis, in Minnesota. And it's just a reminder that we don't pay enough attention to the suburbs. So much of the conversation, so, so much of the article, so much of the news is like cities. So much of the, so many of the reporters in cities, so much of the written word is in cities. So really people only go to the suburbs when there's a crisis or like, especially the small suburbs. But more and more Black people are living in the suburbs. And, you know, the police are killing more people in the suburbs and in cities, stuff like that. And I and I think that the media landscape has not shifted to tell those stories, to push, to demand equity, those sort of things. But the people are actually there in big numbers, in tight communities. Uh, and I'm hoping that that gets better over time. Y'all are going to stop talking about my forever president badly because <laughs> I think... <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I think it's interesting to watch, you know, people who try to unite. I think the, you know, I think that I'm everybody's president is an attempt to say, you know, we're more than our differences. There are some commonalities and stuff. And that might be your political thing or it might not be. Um, but I think there are enough people who are interested in that. And like, let's just be clear, we have had some some interest-based political leaders who are as bad as the unifying, universal, whatever you want to call these other folks. So um, whatever, I just had to stick up for my forever president because I'm an Obama stan. Sorry, y'all. Um, I'm not sorry. I just am. Yes. <laughs> Diara, thanks. I, I think local politics matters a lot. I think there's a lot of, you know, when I think about young Black mayors, first of all, the four mayors, I think, of our largest cities in America are Black mm-hmm. right now. And not just our largest cities. There are lots of young Black mayors who are being elected all across the country. And I am prayerful for those folks because, you know, once we get in leadership, if we do anything wrong, color outside the lines, fall off the curb, whatever, right, that's the reason to never, ever elect you know, Black leadership again. We went through it in the 60s and now we're back. But I hope that these folks get the support that they need, the grace that they need because they're running because they want to lead differently because a lot of the leadership that has been in place hasn't worked for us and for other people. And so I'm I'm out here cheering for the young Black mayors. I hope it works out. I hope they get the support that they need and and that we rally around them the way we rally around these other folks who are not in our interest. So my article this week is about a family in Virginia called the Coles family. Actually, let me back up. The prequel to this story is um, there was a woman who, a Washington Post reporter, who decided that she should figure out who in Congress owned slaves. And lo and behold, she combed through records and found that 1,800 of your Congress people um, enslaved Black people. And she put together a whole catalog and talked about who the people were and 
how they voted on laws that were in the interest of them enriching themselves and and whatnot. And it's a fascinating online archive if you ever want to check it out. But part of that research led to this story about the Coles family um, in Virginia, uh, who um, the patriarch of the Coles family, Walter Coles, bought almost 6,000 acres worth of land in Virginia. And um, he fought in the Revolutionary War, later became a congressman. Walter Coles bequeathed this land. Six generations of Coles have lived on this land and many of the people that they enslaved and their descendants as well. And the article is about this family and the conundrum that they find themselves in. Actually, they are not in a conundrum. They are very clear about what they want to do. But the land that the Coles family owns, which still today looks pretty much like it looked back in the day, um, Walter Coles the fifth, I think, fifth or sixth, a Walter Coles and his wife have lived in that thing since the very beginning, including up till now. So Walter Coles the fifth or sixth is currently living there. He's 84. And much of it remains the way it is, the way it was during enslavement. Well, it turns out that this piece of property is sitting on one of the largest uranium deposits in North America. And it is worth billions of dollars if they can figure out how to excavate the uranium. They actually know how to excavate the uranium, but there is a law in the state of Virginia that precludes or prohibits the mining of uranium because Previously, there were far too many side effects when you mined uranium. Uranium is what is used for nuclear fuel and nuclear energy. And in this moment of climate change, it's actually very inexpensive. Nuclear energy is very inexpensive. It's a long-term solution to some of the climate issues that we face. Um, And so if you can get in here and pull this stuff out the ground, um, it's worth billions of dollars. And they have not been able to do it because basically the Virginia laws are sort of outdated and speak to mining uranium when it was much more dangerous. But all over Europe, they are mining uranium in very safe ways. And so the Coles family, using all of their influence and money, which has come from the enrichment of themselves, they were tobacco farmers. They have petitioned all the way to the Supreme Court to get Virginia's laws changed so that they could mine this uranium, they have not been successful. But the question that this article asks is, what do you owe the descendants of the enslaved people who built this house, built this land, built this plantation, built the family's wealth, which they're still enjoying today? And there are descendants of the people who were enslaved on the plantation. Uh, Many of them, their last name is Coles as well. And These folks are not even under consideration for reaping part of the benefits. And the conversation with the current Walter Coles is sort of like, you know, yeah, we enslaved these people, but we did buy them. Like we paid a price for them and we bought the land and, you know, it would be so hard to figure out how to split this up amongst the descendants that, you know, it's not, and we're not just, we're just not going to do that. 
And the attitude is so cavalier, is so condescending, is so dismissive. In fact, part of the the article discusses the fact that while many of the Coles were pro-slavery and many served in Congress and voted in their own interests, um, one of the Coles was anti-slavery and he actually freed the slaves that were left to him by his father. He became governor of Illinois, but literally could not move into national politics because of his stance on slavery. And this Walter, the current Walter, is like, yeah, I mean, I probably would have been where our people were, which was, you know, yes, it's immoral, but here we are. And so I'm going to vote in our interest. And so I brought this to the pod because at a time, you know, we've had lots of conversations about reparations. First of all, for me, I hope this family never gets to mine this uranium. I hope the uranium, I don't know, dries up and disappears or something. But they've profited so much from the work of other people and the lives of the enslaved. But to watch white privilege when it has the chance to actually do right actually not do right and to continue to perpetuate the privilege and the condescendence and the disregard for the people who have made, I mean, literally he's like, yeah, they made us wealthy and like, that's just life kind of thing. And so I think that in this moment where we're so excited to have allies and people who recognize there are still a whole bunch of folks out here who deeply believe that what they have is theirs. Nobody else should share in it. And it was a piece of history that I didn't know. The Coles were one of the largest, the largest landholding families in Virginia post-Revolutionary War. And lots of this stuff still stands today. The companies that they've built, the houses that they've built and whatnot. So, you know, we want to talk about slavery being 400 years ago. But uh, there are still impacts and effects that are happening right now in small places like Chatham, Virginia, which we don't even think about. Uh-uh. Let's, let's, <laughs> let, let's, let's get a car and let's talk in person <laughs> to them. That's why, that, like, this is absolutely wild. And my thing is, so, and this is not, I'm trying not to be, you know, just, plain semantics but to me like white privilege is oh i got a taxi quicker than you did right or whatever this is white power this is billions of dollars millions of dollars this is white this this change this type of money in wealth changes the trajectory of not just one life but a legacy of lives some for the uh, obviously for the for, for the for the fortunate and some for the poor like that's that's like white power. And sometimes I think that white privilege is such a, um, uh, it's, it's too light of a word for some, for the, the power dynamics that we're discussing um, often. And wow. And this is also the reason how come you cannot let, yes, if you live in gentrified Brooklyn and you have, and you live next to a white person who loves artisanal cheeses and breads and they say hi to you, sure, you probably can convince that white person to give you $20 or do something or do whatever they have to do to contribute to the community. That's not who we're talking about. These white people do not have that same moral compass. 
Because and they and they and this is a legacy. If you're of the lineage of people who thought it was okay to enslave people, you can't then think that magically that you're gonna wake up and generations later have a change of heart. You're still holding that same piece of a moral DNA in you. You know, I got so it's a little hotepy, but I just have to say it. <laughs> as long as you know it's a little hotepy, I'm done. There's no scientific backing in that. But <laughs> a little hotepy boo. But but it's, I it's, it's what it's, it's how I feel, you know? That's just my science. But yeah, I just don't think that people I just don't think I just don't think people who who do have that legacy are gonna magically you have to preserve the the the, the ethos of that, even though if it morphs, in my opinion. So that means you might be a little bit more of a tirade when it comes to business, maybe a little bit more aloof or cold when it comes to human um human or empathetic um uh, uh, uh arguments and stuff like that. I I do I don't think that just disappears in a family. Just like I think that there are families who've done good and black families who who have always been warm and that the, and, and and we preserve that throughout the um, generations too. This is wild. This is how come we can't we we can't we can't ask them to do the right thing. It has to be law. It has to go through. It has to come out in a way that is that is sanctioned. Because if up to them, tr- like my whole thing, try, try. We don't know where to start or whatever. It starts. Let's try. <laughs> mhm. And part of it, you know, I mean, when emancipation happened, slave owners were paid for the slaves than slave people that were freed. So I think Miles to your part in terms of like the interjection intervention of government, like that's what we need here because you're right. Like if these folks had, they've had hundreds of years now, hundreds of years now to do the right thing and they haven't. And we've seen this and we've covered this, whether it's, you know, land grabbing from black people, whether it's redlining, what slavery, obviously, I just feel like, when there's an opportunity to do the wrong thing to us, that is what is going to happen. And so I think it is absolutely imperative to just look at how, yes, like how has this family benefited from the institution of slavery, but how has the government been complicit in the building of this family's wealth, right? Like what has that looked like over time? Because that's math and we can figure that out. I was just going to say to that point, um, to both of your points, but DR, this idea of like, it was like 5,000 acres. I mean, it's like, this wasn't even like, Three acres, two acres. It's like that is a you're one of the biggest landowners in in the region. Forget the state. You own more money than the governments probably do. I mean, that is nuts. So to the idea of like government redistribution is like, you know, they will say it's ours, da da da. Don't worry, we redistribute it. You 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 took people and sold them. We could definitely take some of these acres. They do it all the time. And 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 cut them up. That's right. One of the things that was really interesting, because, you know, you tell you, you have narratives that you tell yourself. This is what Walter Coles says in the article. He says it's the article says after emancipation, those who had been enslaved at Coles Hill found a way to prosper, buying land nearby and launching businesses, Walter argues. Those slaves went up here and started a blacksmith shop and started a farm and they were growing tobacco. People given a chance can be successful. They emerged from the Confederacy struggling to be entrepreneurs. They came out of it pretty well. So, Walter, you think that those poor enslaved people who started a black ship, I mean, let's just look at where they are versus where you are right now. You are. With six generations of wealth behind you and these other folks who you won't even acknowledge. But these are, you know, to Miles' thing about immoral DNA, what you 
deeply think and believe, right? Those things color your actions. And so if you really believe that Black people did okay after the Confederacy, then of course you don't think that you owe reparations. He says very clearly, I'd probably be on the side of slavery. He says they were troubled about it, but they had so much tied to it. And that is the whole entire thing, right? Number one, you weren't that troubled about it. The most important part is you have so much tied to it. And Walter, you do too right now. And so this is why we need government intervention around this. Shame on you. Shame on you, Walter Coles. We're going to try and get this author on the podcast because I'm... I read this, I read the beginning of this and was shocked, organ thief. So I want to get him on the podcast. But, you know, we've talked about medical racism a ton, but this story I just had to bring here because, again, I'm rarely like shocked by things. But in 1968, a 54-year-old Black man named Bruce Tucker, he fell off of a brick ledge. He was a laborer and he died. He hit his head and he died. The next afternoon, May 25th, 1968, his heart was sewn into the chest of a white business executive named Joseph Klett at the Medical College of Virginia. It was one of the first heart transplants in the country, and it gave the medical school sort of a lot of prestige in the transplant community. But here's the thing. Tucker's family did not consent. They didn't even learn about it until the funeral home told them that there was something going on with his body, namely that his body was missing kidneys and his heart, y'all. Now, we know about Tuskegee. We know about Henrietta Lacks. I just didn't know about the history of stealing Black people's organs to put them in white people's bodies. Didn't know. We're going to get the guy who wrote the Organ Thieves book on the podcast, but uh, I've read this story and the article goes on and talks about other things in medical racism, but that just, you know, there's a part of, and to Miles push him around like white power versus white privilege, is that there's like an evilness and a dastardliness and a, that, that like comes with white supremacy that is just so wild. And I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that one of the first heart transplants in the United States was actually stealing the heart of a black man. Wow. So I'm just bringing that here. You know, a, a, a ray of sunshine as always. <laughs> and my first first initial reaction is we have to hide this from the playwrights. I'm gonna I'm not gonna hold you and the filmmakers. <laughs> I do not want to see this on stage. I think the book is enough. I think the articles are enough. I want to keep this in an academic context. Please do not try to get your next Tony or Oscar off of this. We don't, we do not need this recreated. I could not get that thought out of my mind and it was, it was stopping me from getting to my, um, my next thought. And then also, I don't know, like, is there, I know there's these individual, this is just a general question. Like, I know that there's individual accounts of, you know, Henrietta Lacks in this situation, but is there any type of, um, or maybe this is it because I haven't, I haven't read the book, but is there any type of book that, really lays out these situations and connects them to distress, you know what I mean? Or connects it to the COVID-19 situation and how the paternalism and, and the and the condescension around Black people happened, but then we also have the distrust about the medical, um, uh, the medical institutions. Are there any places that talk about these plethora of situations and connect them to modern day distrust in, um, in the medical institutions? And just make them, that's the... Am I making sense? Like, is and that's the topic? Is that that's the meat? 
or a documentary or anything like that. I think that's a little bit of what this article is trying to do, right? It takes you from takes you through everything from Tuskegee to, you know, grave robbers who took black cadavers so that medical schools could have bodies to work on without black people's consent to the women who had to undergo forced sterilization in in California prisons like the organ stealing the you know DNA stealing, all of these things and they and in the article they go on to say and 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 these like basically when a community has all of these stories of mistrust and misdeeds and mishandling by the medical community that gets hardwired into your DNA and so when it's time to take you know, they talked about HIV and AIDS in the 90s, 80s and the 90s, and COVID now. This is why we don't trust vaccines. This is why we don't get the health care that we need to get because we have all of these issues of mistrust. I'm from modern day Serena Williams to like literally to, you know, Black women dying. Like when you hear a steady diet of, of Black people being mistreated, it absolutely impacts the way you approach and receive healthcare um, in your day-to-day life. And I think the the article goes out of its way to point that out. I think the other thing is, it's just this obsession with black bodies, like the mystification of it. Like it is really wild. I remember learning about Sarah Bartman, who was also known as Hot and Top Venus when I was in college. And I was like, wait, what? So she was a performer, forced to perform, but then when she passed, her body parts were on display in a museum in Paris. Y'all, her brain, skeleton, and sexual organs remain on display in a Paris museum until 1974. Her remains weren't repatriated and buried until 2002. Like this, it's like sick. Like there's a sickness around it. Wow, so we're going to have him on the pod. We got to find the author of Oregon Thieves because it blew my mind. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning into Pod Save the People this week. Tell your friends to check it out. Make sure to rate it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. And we will see you next week. Pod Save the People is a production of Crooked Media. It's produced by AJ Moultrie and mixed by Charlotte Lanes. Executive produced by me, and special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles Johnson. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com.
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore One Nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, Bad Dirt. What makes Bad Dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like Bad Dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.